0: Good morning. I'm Anna Marie and it's time again for Focus. Lots of family gatherings end up with somebody sick. Let's try and prevent that. Our guest today is Hugh Adkins. He's the Bureau Director of Environmental Health. Welcome Hugh. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having us and we're here to try to help you out.
0: Okay, so people know that you're qualified definitely to tell us about food safety. Let's start with some of the basics. We have a lot of food whenever we have the families get together. What are some of the basics that we all need to remember?
1: Well, the main basic thing is like when we were growing up, you got to wash your hands and constantly be rewashing your hands and cleaning the Food surfaces, food prep surfaces, because one of the major causes of uh, foodborne illness is cross-contamination between raw foods and ready-to-eat foods uh, during the preparation process. Yeah.
0: So wash your hands, keep washing your hands, and keep washing food surfaces.
1: Wash, rinse with warm Soapy water, your contact surfaces, your cutting boards, your countertops, whatever you're preparing the food on, Uh between each item that you're prepping.
0: What about cutting boards? Are there certain kinds of cutting boards that are better? I've heard some people say, I prefer this because it doesn't hold as much bacteria, things like that.
1: Now, wooden cutting boards are fine as long as you're doing a good, thorough scrubbing, cleaning and sanitizing actually with some sort of bleach solution to get down in all the cracks and kill all the bacteria. There's nothing wrong with a good solid wood cutting board, but the um, hard plastic uh, type surfaces are good because you don't get as many dents and cuts for the bacteria to hide in.
0: Before we move on to our next reason for foodborne illnesses, uh, let's talk about what a foodborne illness is.
1: Okay. What does that look like? Uh, foodborne illnesses can be anything. The most common one around prepping big meals for family gatherings is salmonella because poultry is a good source of salmonella and it's just there. So you have to make sure you cook your foods hot enough to kill that. But if you have a s- salmonella infection, it's going to be like you hear lots of times the flu like sy- symptoms, the the high temperature, the diarrhea, the upset stomach, nausea, and that could onset anywhere from six hours after your meal to 24 to 48 hours. And lots of times, the the illness is not that uh, severe for most people, but it could cause real problems with younger people, older people, and anybody that's on medication or taking chemotherapy. Say if you have a cancer patient in your your home, and your family, you need to take care that, that you're following all these steps because if there's somebody with an immune uh, system weakness, then they are more susceptible to the uh, negative effects of foodborne illness.
0: Okay, so salmonella is the most common one. Right. And a lot of times people think, oh, I got a touch of the stomach bug or a touch of the flu. But I think as we spoke about last time, the stomach
1: bug is usually norovirus. Norovirus is big. Occasionally with beef and ground beef, you can get some E. coli. And those are, uh, they're not as common, although norovirus is becoming more and more common as a foodborne outbreak. But salmonella is still the leading uh, foodborne illness um, bacteria that people encounter in the home. Is uh,
0: Salmonella contagious? Like if somebody has it, can they spread it?
1: No, it's not usually contagious.
0: Like norovirus, right? Norovirus, uh
1: uh-huh. um, And
0: norovirus is spread because people are not washing their hands after they go to the bathroom,
1: right? And and particularly hepatitis A can be spread through food as well, and that's spread the fecal-oral route, just like you mentioned with norovirus. So mm-hmm. it's just very important uh, to make sure you're observing good hand hygiene, washing the hands often.
0: Is hepatitis A, is that... Like curable? Is that something you get and then you get
1: over? Yeah, it's something you get, you get over. The symptoms are a whole lot, like I mentioned earlier, flu like symptoms with some jaundice, which is really the indicator. Which is a yellowing of the Mm -hmm.
0: skin and eyes.
1: Yeah, and people can be um, contagious with it without being symptomatic oh. but then once the symptoms set in they're only they only shed the virus for about a week but also with hep a there's a vaccine and once you have hep a you have immunity to it for life
0: okay well uh, one little bright note right there and that so that's kind of what uh foodborne illnesses look like mm-hmm. okay so now we're talking about foodborne illnesses. We've kind of taken a, a, a gross look at <laughs> what that looks like in your life. And now we want to move on to after salmonella and cross-contamination, things like that. Uh, what are other causes of foodborne illnesses that we need to look for?
1: Food temperature is, is big, both on the prep side and the storage side. Okay. Lots of people, when they host big meals and are serving turkey, don't, properly thaw the, the turkey prior to cooking, and then that makes it difficult to get the internal temperature hot enough uh, to kill all the bacteria. So most people don't realize that it takes 24 hours for every four to five pounds of turkey if you have a whole turkey. So you need to thaw that in the refrigerator. Uh-huh. And, and like I said, 24 hours for each 4 to 5 pounds. Now, you can also thaw a turkey in cold running water in the sink or in standing water if you change that water every 30 minutes. But, but-
0: don't you have to keep it from... Floating out of the water. I have to weight mine down with yeah, something when I've had to it's do that. Yeah, it's difficult
1: to do it that way. Sucker wants to float. Uh, right. So the running water keeps it from floating, but then you're running water the whole time you're doing it. Oh, okay. so, But if you're going to do it in a warm, I mean, in a cold water bath in your sink, you got to change that water every 30 minutes.
0: Tell them why that is.
1: Uh, because. And
0: why we can't just thaw a turkey out at room temperature. Oh, at room temperature, at
1: room temperature the turkey stays out of temperature for way too long and it starts growing bacteria basically the minute you set it out on the counter or wherever you're trying to and the whole time it's just out of temperature for too long and by out of temperature i mean it's either above 41 degrees or below ideally 135 but but most recommendations will say 140.
0: The If the outside of the turkey is thawing out faster, that's already starting to grow bacteria because that's, that's right. already spoiling as the inside is still frozen. Right. So you're already growing all those germs on that nice turkey breast that you want to eat.
1: Right, and then it just works its way through mm-hmm. as the turkey sits out mm-hmm. and as it warms up from the outside in, the bacteria grows from yeah. the outside in.
0: Mm, foodborne illness. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so we want to make sure that you're doing that in the refrigerator anytime you're throwing out a turkey because that's really the safest way. And uh, you're going to have to plan on several days. Right. Ahead of time. Mm. Just and then if you happen to have waited too long in the sink underwater, but you have to change that every 30 minutes or under running water which is just I think
1: that's just horrible that we would run the water that long. Yeah, that's not efficient (laughs) at all. Yes,
0: unless you've got a way to recycle that. Um, Okay, so then we've got the turkey thawed out safely Mm -hmm. or other foods thawed out safely in the refrigerator, and then we cook it.
1: We cook it. You want to cook it to 165 degrees internal temperature, so you need a good meat thermometer Mm -hmm. to check the inside of the meat. And it's important also that anything you put in the turkey, like stuffing, it has to be cooked to 165 degrees as well. Ah. So uh, when you put the stuffing in, uh, and that's where there have been foodborne illnesses traced back to the stuffing. They cook the turkey to 165 degrees but didn't check the temperature of the stuffing. So.
0: Oh. So, in some cases, I have seen people have to actually take the turkey out because you don't want it to get too over over. You don't want mm-hmm. it to get overdone and dry out. So you take the turkey out, take the stuffing out of it, and then cook that some more.
1: Right, cook that some more in like a greased pan or mm-hmm. something like that till it gets up to 165 degrees. So one
0: one sixty five is the magic number for turkey and. Poultry things poultry, like that, right? Okay. If you're cooking something else, are the and the other uh, temperatures are very easy to find. We live in the world of Google. Right. You can find the temperature that you're supposed to cook the meat to. So look that up first, right?
1: Right. I'm And they're they're pretty simple. 165 degrees for for poultry and turkey. Ground turkey also is 165 degrees. Good. Ground beef, however, is like 160, and a steak or something like that, a whole piece of meat that's small can can go down to as low as 145 with a cook temperature
0: is that how people get rare steaks because i know some people like steaks rare or is that always like that's taking your life in your hands
1: well i don't know if it's taking your life (laughs) in your hands but it's not nearly as safe And, and they have menu labels you'll notice in restaurants that that'll say things like we serve our meats at whatever temperature if you want it rare It's going to be below 145 degrees, and there's a menu label that says, a required menu label that warns people that you're more susceptible to a foodborne illness if you don't, if you uh, choose to have your meat prepared at that temperature.
0: Oh, I had not noticed that because I'm not a, a it's, rare it's, steak eater.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah. I had not mm-hmm. had
0: not noticed that. That's good that they do. We're talking with Hugh Adkins, the Bureau Director for Environmental Health. We're talking about the environment of your kitchen in most cases. And foodborne illnesses, we're trying to prevent that. So you've uh, thawed things safely. You've prepared things safely to the correct food temperature. You've used your little handy meat thermometer to find out. Um, and then we have this big feast laid out on the table.
1: Yeah, you've got it out on the table. And you should have seen got his face. He kind of went like, here we go. <laughs> here we go, yeah. So invariably, big family gathering meals, people will look forward to having leftovers. And, oh, yeah. and that's great. It's great to have leftovers. You need to make sure that your refrigerator has the capacity to hold all this food during Uh-oh. a big gathering. True. And you turn it down to... 40 degrees or lower. Oh, 40 turn, degrees. Turn it down. Because the more food you have in your refrigerator, the more taxed it's going to be. So you put your you get your uh, temperature at 40 degrees to hold it or or lower. And after you've cooked the meal and served it, anything that you decide is worth keeping as a leftover needs to get into that refrigerator in 2 hours. And then it starts cooling down properly and you get it down to 40 degrees and you should be safe
0: so that means you've taken the turkey out of the oven you let it rest 20 minutes maybe while everybody's kind of getting things ready you carve it you have the meal it needs to be in the refrigerator within two hours from the time you've taken it out of the oven right
1: but two hours from the time it starts losing that cook temperature
0: Okay, because we don't do that, most of us. Well,
1: most of us don't.
0: We sit, leave it out on the table, then we leave it out on the counter, and then we'll go start making some leftovers. But two hours.
1: And you hear stories like that that everybody had a big meal, they just left it on the table till later that night, and everybody came back and ate again, mm-hmm. and and that's possible. Obviously, that's possible to happen without making people sick if, you know, it was cooked to the proper temperature killed all the bacteria that was in it. People who were partaking didn't then contaminate it with their dirty hands. And, and and most of the time that does not happen. So people have washed their hands. They've come to the table. So it isn't recontaminated with anything to start growing. Right. So that's how it can sit there like that. But that's just not a good practice. The, the more people, the more hands that are in there touching it, there's more potential for contaminants to be introduced. So you need to get it back in the refrigerator two hours after you take it off or throw it away. And like in commercial restaurants, they cook to the cook temperatures and they put it out, say, on a buffet. Mm -hmm. Well, they can put that out there on a heater just to keep it warm and and the temperature uh, is dropping. If they serve it all within four hours, they're good. But if they don't serve it all within four hours, they have to toss it or they have to keep it above 140 the whole time they have it available for service.
0: So make sure I understand this. That bigger four hour window is if it's being kept warm.
1: If it's being kept warm, like if you have a have it on the stove okay, and it's being kept at that higher temperature above okay. 140. OK, um, cook it to 165, hold it at 140. You're good. And, and I have you, a
0: food warming tray and I don't know what temperature it warms to, but that kind of makes sense. So you're not letting it cool down enough for whatever for
1: bacteria the ba- to grow.
0: OK, mm-hmm. so the the rule is keep hot foods hot and cold foods cold. Right. What about cold foods like uh, deviled eggs or oh. potato salad or things like that?
1: Same thing. They need to get in the refrigerator. Uh, they don't need to. Uh, They need to get in the refrigerator in two hours, and they need to be kept below 40 degrees. If they're held cold, then obviously the less chance of contaminants growing in it. So...
0: So wait until the meal's really going onto the table, then pull those cold things out if you
1: can. Yeah, the cold things like, especially you mentioned the eggs, the deviled eggs. Yeah. Uh, they they are uh, a potentially hazardous food, which is, is not to be a scary term, but, yeah, that can be. Uh, eggs, you know, grow salmonella uh, very well. Uh, things like salads with greens and tomatoes and things that are safe at room temperature you still need to refrigerate those if you're going to keep them but they're not as dangerous as something like uh, eggs and things that have other deviled egg has several ingredients with uh, condiments and and the eggs themselves that need to get refrigerated if you're going to keep them within a couple hours
0: i hate that you keep saying if you're going to keep them Because that just hurts me to think about throwing away good family homemade food like that. It does.
1: And then the next thing that comes about is when you get ready to eat those foods again, reserve them.
0: The leftovers, yeah. So uh,
1: with uh, poultry and any kind of, well, just about any hot food, but especially poultry, beef, anything, the reheat temperature is also 165. So you take it back out of the... Refrigerator, and you've got to heat it up to that cook temperature again. And um,
0: So we're talking, if you're just joining us, I'm Anna Marie, and this is Focus. We're talking with Hugh Adkins. He's the Bureau Director of Environmental Health. So no cold turkey sandwiches?
1: Oh, yes, if you're going to have it warm again. Now, if you're going to eat it cold, that's fine, too, because you've held it at 40 degrees.
0: Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. So, but if you're going to warm it up, warm it back up to the proper temperature. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, with microwaves these days, that's not as hard. That's
1: not as hard to do.
0: Okay. What about pies? Do pies need to be refrigerated? I'm kind of, I've. I've. I
1: think the answer to that is yes. Some pies would not have to be dependent on the ingredients that are in them. Uh, pies are different um, because they have a lot of sugar, which retards the growth of some of these foodborne bacteria. So uh and the pH of the food is lots of times low enough that it kills the bacteria and it stays at that pH. So you'll see That
0: kind see, of explains pie
1: safes. Yeah, that pie safes. People in, used to have. On, just keep it in the yeah, the cupboard. And you go into the you watch a movie with an old diner, and they've got the pies up in the thing. And in that, a display case. Yeah, in a display case. So, But I think uh, like a pumpkin pie or something, you need to get that in the refrigerator just like you would the rest of your stuff.
0: Okay. So now we're eating leftovers. How long after? And I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you this question, and I might not follow <laughs> your answer. <laughs> but I want to know really what I'm supposed to be doing as far as how long to keep leftovers.
1: Oh. Four or five days if you're keeping them at the proper temperature. Good. I would lean more toward three or four, but four or five. And turkey and foods like that that are more potentially risk factors for salmonella growth, certainly you need to lean toward the four days, maybe four or five. I would go three or four.
0: Nowadays, freezing is such a good option that you can really just make yourself a little plate in one of those plastic containers, pop it in the freezer. You don't have to worry about, I have to eat that within three or four days, and you can have something good for later. What are other things that we need to make sure that we're remembering when we have big family gatherings and lots of food so everybody stays healthy?
1: As we mentioned, the basic hand washing. Another thing, too, is...
0: Let's repeat that hand washing
1: Hand thing. washing. the The first rule in public health, whether it's food prep or anything, hand washing. And it's uh, the most effective public health measure that's ever been discovered is hand washing. So we we need to wash our hands. Also, we need to make sure that if we have any kind of fever or illness ourselves, that we're not prepping food. And if we have the sniffles or think we're going to sneeze, we need to get out, cover our mouth wash your hands after, all those sorts of things. So hand hygiene rolls right into cross-contamination. You're contaminating the food with your hands. So anything that gets on your hands gets on the food. Now, if you cook to the proper temperature, you can overcome a lot of mistakes, but we don't wanna make those mistakes to start with.
0: Yeah, we don't wanna take that risk if we don't have to. Now you said if you have any kind of a fever or or you're feeling sick, I know that there are going to be people who feel bad and they're going to push through this Mm -hmm. because they have a big meal to prepare. Is there anything they can do to make sure they're especially safe? Like if wash your hands a lot, that kind of thing?
1: Yes. You don't want to be touching your face or nose or hair or anything like that when, when you're prepping food. And you've washed your hands, so anything you touch, then... Is on your hands, so obviously. And people wear gloves, which is good with ready-to-eat foods. By that, I mean foods that don't have another kill step by cooking, like salads and and things of that nature. So uh, you don't want to touch anything ready-to-eat, really, with your bare hands unless you have just washed your hands.
0: So what if I've just washed my hands and then I did some stuff with the cooked turkey? wash my hands again before I deal with the salad?
1: I would recommend that you wash your hands again. Even though the the turkey is cooked, it's just a precaution. Just in case there
0: Mm -hmm. had been something Mm -hmm. somewhere. Yes. Are there foods that are especially prone to causing foodborne illnesses that we can kind of go like, I'm going to really focus on food safety on this more than anything?
1: Poultry, which is turkey and and chicken, they, they just seem like inherently have salmonella you really need to be careful of all your surfaces in your kitchen when you're handling a raw turkey or a raw chicken and another thing that people do is that cdc and fda and usda do not recommend anymore is washing or rinsing a raw turkey or chicken before you prep it because the research shows that there's more danger of you splashing salmonella around your kitchen when you rinse it than there is of that salmonella that might be on it not getting killed during the cooking process. So don't rinse your turkey. Uh, in your kitchen before you put it in the pan.
0: Hugh, you just grossed me out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is a gem. I had no idea. Yeah, well, that's recent uh, research has led to that recommendation, and there are a lot of people, I think FDA, USDA, all those agencies probably got more pushback on that when they (laughs) announced it because it's just, contrary to what we all grew up seeing in our home kitchens and doing ourselves Mm -hmm. and people have i think just flat out they heard comments well you could say that but i'm still rinsing my turkey and in most cases you're probably going to be all right if you're doing the other things re-sanitizing your prep surfaces after you do it
0: most of us are not re-sanitizing the sink no. After we wash the turkey, we mm. got that turkey in one side of the sink. We might have a, a, a sink full of soapy water on the left side. We got the turkey on the right. We're going to rinse that sucker off, take it out, and be careful with it, and put it in the oven, and we're going to go back to that sink and wash the lettuce.
1: No, no, you don't want to <laughs> wash the lettuce without cleaning and sanitizing your sink. See, I just paid
0: Hugh back. I just grossed him out. Yeah. He went, oh, no. <laughs> but I think that's some of what's going to happen, and I think that's yeah. probably why the rule, new rule to not rinse the turkey.
1: Right, and following a logical progression here is, if you prep your salad first and then your turkey, that's not as big a danger as doing it the other way around because the cur- turkey's going to be cooked mm-hmm. afterwards. The lettuce and the salad prep is not. So.
0: so did you hear that? Prep your salad first and then splash that salmonella around your kitchen <laughs> the, if you're going to rinse that turkey off. That's right. I have no idea what I'm going to do now about that because I feel like I need to rinse that off. However... I have that visual. I can see the salmonella all over the backsplash of the kitchen sink.
1: Well, now that you're conscious that you could have splashed it, then you know to, to sanitize around your mm-hmm. kitchen over there where you did it.
0: Are there any things that we should be washing off with actual soap? I've seen some sort of uh, vegetable mm. washes and things like that.
1: No, raw vegetables, uh, wash, rinse them under running water and use a light vegetable brush on those and they'll be fine they don't need any kind of soap or detergent on them
0: if we put uh, alcohol in our sweet potato casserole does that kill all the germs in it no i was hoping you would say yes
1: yeah and another thing too the alcohol content will evaporate so you hear people joking that they had rum cake so they need a designated driver <laughs> that, that there's nothing to that either <laughs>
0: yeah. you mentioned somebody with an, a weakened immune system Mm-hmm. being more susceptible to foodborne illnesses anybody we should kind of look out for especially and if we were going to say maybe we won't even feed them this certain food is there anything that we might want to do to just to err on the side of caution
1: i think no i think if if you prep your food accordingly cook it to the right temperature and serve it everybody at your meal will be safe but you just need an abundance of caution when you are dealing with people with immune system deficiencies. And lots of things can cause that, like we said earlier, chemotherapy, uh, drugs that suppress the immune system. So uh, young and then young kids and older people naturally have weaker immune system. So you have to be really careful around them. But if you follow all these steps, and I think what that does is a good way to emphasize how important these measures are, because we get in the habits of our routines, of the way we cooked all our lives, but we don't think about Lots of times the reason we think about cooking for the quality of the food and to make it taste right. And if we cook it too long at a certain temperature, maybe that affects the texture or the, uh, how much we might enjoy it. But the reason we're cooking is not because we maybe it is because we like our certain foods hot and certain foods cold. It's to kill bacteria and, and keep people from getting sick.
0: Could you possibly do me a summary Of like Hot Foods Hot, Cold Foods Code, just so we can kind of wrap it up. And if somebody's just catching us now, they're going to get all the good stuff.
1: For a safe meal at a family gathering, make sure you're washing your hands frequently. You're sanitizing your surfaces frequently. You're not cross-contaminating raw food with ready-to-eat food. Mm -hmm. You're keeping all foods as best you can between 40 and 140, either colder than 40, hotter than 140, and get it all whether it's hot or cold, into the refrigerator, two hours after you serve it.
0: Any place we can go if we have any questions and go like, I don't remember that?
1: Yes, you can call the Metro Public Health Department, or you can go great websites on this. You can just Google food safety, safe meals, CDC, FDA, USDA will all pop up, and they have documents, one-pagers on all of this. Okay.
0: Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Hugh Adkins, the Bureau Director for Environmental Health, helping us stay safe and healthy when we have those family gatherings and lots of food. Make sure you join us again next week, please. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus.